welcome to the Coaching Uncovered podcast, a podcast where coaches come to talk about coaching. My name is Brent Davis and I'm the host of the podcast and today I have got one of those young guns out there that is killing it on the international stage. Um, we've had a few of these guests on over the last few weeks so I have got Molly Lavacombe in to have a chat. Thanks for having, um, thanks for having a chat with me, Molly. No, thanks for having me. This is awesome. It's um, as as people that have tuned into the podcast over the last few weeks, we've had quite a few of you young guns on the show recently. So, um, people that have been blowing up my social media feed with all their content and all their their good quality information they're putting out there. So, um, you are certainly one of those. But for those that don't know you, tell us a bit about yourself. That's hilarious that you say young gun because I just turned 27 and I feel like I'm getting old. <laughs> but it's nice. 27 is young, like, trust me. I know. I feel like I'm having like a, like a quarter midlife crisis. But um, yeah, no, definitely. When I say it like that, like I, I got into golf when I was seven. So grew up in Sydney, Western Sydney, and then kind of got into the game when I was seven. My dad, he was the, um, the junior coordinator at Cumberland Golf Club. So he used to like just take me along. And at that point, you had to be 10 to start in the junior cadets program. Uh, and I was seven, so I was just allowed to watch. Um, just kind of became obsessed because my brother and my dad would always go off. My mum played golf. So I used to just go and watch. And and then, yeah, suddenly they let me start doing the putting clinics. And I think by the time, like, that end of that season when I was seven, they're like, okay, she can play. Like, And they finally let me start t- taking lessons and, and joining in on the program. But it kind of just started from there, and, and it kind of, exploded after that i got just obsessed and hooked on the game straight away that's pretty cool it's 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 a scary thing about golf that even 20 years ago they were still cutting access to juniors like that's just so so crazy like you see kids out there playing all different types of sports so young these days and 20 years ago we were still cutting access to seven-year-olds it's awful yeah, it was um, it was really tough. I, I used to just have to sit there and watch. I couldn't even putt. So, and especially because you know my dad was on there, it was really hard to for him to be you know running some of the junior programs, and I just had to kind of watch. But I think after that first season, you know, they're like, okay, we'll give her give her a shot at it, and and yeah, just like on my best behavior, so I didn't get kicked out of the program. So, <laughs> which is not what you want. You want it to be fun and you want it to be inviting. So it was a bit different back then, but I'm I'm glad it's changed now. Oh, it certainly changed now, but I'm thinking back to when I first started. I was still in the long sock day. I was in still in the when yeah. I had to wear shorts with long socks. Yeah, so, that's exactly right. <laughs> that's certainly gone, that's thank it. goodness. So, talk me through the early junior program days for you as a player. So, talk me through the coaching you got and how you played and the access yeah. to tournaments and course that you had. Yeah, definitely. I think when I, like I said, like when I first started. I didn't really have any lessons. Um, it was just my dad and I and dad just saying, grip it and like hit it as hard as you can. I mean, I was the only female in or junior girl in the program. So there was a good, we had a really decent program. I think we had, you know, close to 30 kids in the program, which was probably one of the biggest kind of in Western Sydney at that point. Um, but I was pretty much the only female there. So, you know, I never wanted to like tee off a different tee than what the boys were or I always wanted to be competitive with them. I didn't want a head start. I didn't want, you know, shots or anything. So I used to just try and hit it as hard as I could. Um, and I wasn't actually worried about technique. And my dad was never worried about technique. It's something you can develop. It's just about getting that hand-eye coordination. Um, but then as I obviously got older, kind of 10, I got my first handicap of 44. And that's kind of when dad and I just started working really closely. And my dad played off a handicap of six. And 
he used to do a bit of catting, um, so he kind of knew the game pretty well. Um, but it was just something fun we could do together. So kind of got coaching from him um, when I was kind of 10 to maybe 3 to 13. Um, I think after my first tournament I played in the Jack Newton Junior Golf Foundation back then. Um, I think it was like the Harvey Norman week of golf. And I was 10 years old playing. And I remember I was playing with like 16-year-olds. And I'm only five foot two now. So back then I wasn't. I wasn't very big, so uh, but I had a lot of confidence. So I, I remember I played in the Harvey Norman week of golf and I won the net um, and I dropped nine shots in my handicap that, after that week. So from wow. there it kind of took off, right? So uh, yeah, it was, a bit, it was a bit chaotic, but I had no coaching in those first initial years. It, and I think that was really good for me. I think I just enjoyed the game for what it was and I didn't overthink anything. I wish I was like that now. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 again, it, it sounds like you spent heap, heaps of time on the course itself as opposed yeah. to on the range hitting golf balls. We we're trying to find the, the perfect technique, so that could certainly yeah. help. But how did the how did the parent-child coaching setup work? Was there much <laughs> fighting going on between father and yeah, daughter? That, I think it lasted till I was 13, and then I hit a teenager, and I was like, I'm done. <laughs> I need an out. Um, no, there was only so far. I think that... I, my dad was really good. He was really good with that kind of stuff. I I started getting lessons from George Sirhan um, out at Marsden Park, and that was before Marsden Park had any houses. It was just a land off land and then a random old driving range at the back. So I used to get lessons from him probably once a week, um, and he was really good with me. But dad would always come, but he would sit far enough away. So he wasn't in the lesson, but he could hear on, um, which was really good because then – you know, when we'd go to the range after it, he was always there to be like, you know, make sure you're doing this or he'd just like give points, but he let me kind of do my thing. He was just always there, which I liked because that's how we started playing. Like my dad was always there. So to have him still there when I'm learning and, and practicing, but you know, not being too heavily involved was, was really good. So, I mean, as I got to 16 and 17, God, I wouldn't want to be around me then, but, um, he was, he was always there. He never kind of left. So, uh, the dynamic was good. We worked well together. Cutting was a different story, um, especially as I got older, but it was just nice to have dad there and dad's still there. So it's good. <laughs> it's a good dynamic. Having having the, the caddy close can be a can be a challenging space anyway. So if you if oh. your parents are in there in that caddying role, that could be real challenging. A hundred percent. Really hard. So so how quickly did you improve and when did you think that you could make golf a career? Definitely. I think that I, I I was obsessed like from when I was about 13, I used to catch the bus straight from school um, to the golf course to my locker. I'd practice every day after school and, and then sometimes I'd go and practice before and then the bus was right outside the golf course. So I had that and I played every Sunday and I played pennants. But when I was 13, I got a scholarship uh, to the Lakes Golf Club. And so I had a scholarship from there till I was 14 uh, or 15. But I was living out in, you know, Greystain out near Parramatta. So to drive in there every weekend, my parents always wanted to play. So it made it really hard and it was like a big commitment to drive out there. Unreal facilities, great memories, and it was a great experience. But I kind of then moved on from there and moved to Concord Golf Club. It was just a lot closer to home. It was 15 minutes from home. Um, and, yeah, I just kind of got really into it then. Like I started, I think when I was probably 16, 17, I had a really – really good season when I kind of got down to maybe scratch or plus at that point and I was feeling really confident with the game and I think school kind of got secondary kind of at that point where I was like okay I think this is kind of what I wanted to do but I was always obsessed with it it was 
I, what I did for my, you know, since I was seven, I was just obsessed with it. So I think it got to that point. I was like, oh, I can you know, do this for a living and, and not have to work a nine to five. It was super appealing in that kind of regard. So that's kind of when I was like, okay, this is more than just a, a Sunday play around with my mates now. It's kind of a bit more serious. So what was it like going into the, the private club? So uh, Lakes and Concord with, with those scholarship type setups, did yeah. that include coaching as well or was it just um, playing on the course? Um, so at the Lakes, it didn't inclu- uh, include coaching at that point. Um, the Lakes, I, I think, incredible golf course and I was so lucky to, to get in there so young. I mean, I was playing with some of the girls that were the, the biggest golfers at that point. Like I remember... Adriana Brent was there and um, I had Sunny Park that I used to get to play with a fair bit. So there were some pretty standout golfers and we had a pretty solid team at that point, Um, you know, but it just, it was, you know, I was 13, 14 and there was regulations, dress regulations that I found really difficult, you know, like length of skirts and black socks and just kind of that kind of regard. And I think that, it was all not turn off you, but it, it made it a lot more difficult, you know, having to wear a skirt when you're five foot tall that went below your knees <laughs> kind of made you look like you're four foot tall. So it was that kind of hard and that kind of made it a bit harder, but everyone was lovely. But then the decision to go to Concord um, included coaching. And that's when I actually changed my coach to um, Grant. Um, I don't think he's not saying that it's been so long since I've spoken to Grant, but um, he was out at Concord and, and we got coaching with Grant. So that was a really and they they were really hands-on with their juniors they would send us away they'd pay for all our entry fees and all that kind of stuff so they were really really good in that regard so being at concord was was a big kind of you know change in direction for my golf it really helped me along the way sounds like a pretty pretty cool experience and um no that certainly would have pushed you down that down that golf golf pathway so you said you you weren't real keen on school by that by that stage so school finished up what's the thought process after getting out of year 12 and thinking now where where do i go yeah i I think i was just thinking thank god that's done um (laughs) kind of yeah year 12 was tough and you know i did pretty well when i finished and i was just happy to be done but I needed that gap year and so I took a gap year and I was practicing and um, 12 hours a day I was there and I don't know if you remember Shelly Shin but she was a really good junior at the time and I think she was playing off like plus seven at the time and I think I might have been off plus one um, or plus two and I remember playing the club championships and I shot even par the first round and I was seven shots behind and I was like okay this is the next level of golf of where I need to go to and at that point she was 14 and I was like oh my god I need to like lift my game I'm 18 years old like I'm feeling old already now that you know there's 14 years old off plus seven so um yeah that's kind of I just dedicated my my all my time I never kind of went through that party stage when I turned 18 I would think I was so focused in on trying to get to the best as I could and playing all the amateur events and and I was working uh, part-time at Ride Parramatta Golf Club um so that kind of helped too because I was just always in the golf industry like you know, I started washing golf carts and then moved into the golf shop selling Mars bars. So it was, I was just always around it. So I became, you know, pretty dedicated and playing like a lot of like amateur events to try and see where I could get the game going to. Were you playing in state teams back then or in, in squads at all? Yeah. So I, I was always in like the squads. Um, I was in like, obviously during primary school, I was in the state teams there. And then 
I progressed into the junior squads. At that period of time, we had such a strong New South Wales team. You know, you had Kathleen Santoso, you had Chantel Hodson, you had Nerida Gregory. Like, you had some of the best golfers in Australia in New South Wales. So I was in the squad. I was reserved for the team um, for two years. I was in there and it was a good experience because I got to go play, you know, I was still part of it. I got to play the the Australian amateurs before it and then kind of hang back and, and caddy for the girls. And I never got a start on the team, but just to kind of be around that golf and, you know, you look now and I was playing and, you know, playing alongside Haddon Green and, and Minji Lee and, and now they're winning majors on the LPGA Tour, which is just insane. So, yeah, I, I never got to kind of be on that team, but the kind of the goal was then to to play on the Australian, oh, sorry, the New South Wales uh, ladies team. Um, but then I kind of got rid of that goal. Um, I think that was such a goal for mine to kind of get into the team. And then I kind of got a little bit more selfish. It was like, okay, I'm just going to actually focus on just playing events rather than trying to strive for a team. I just want to play good events for myself and see rather than having that extra pressure of, you know, performing that well. I just wanted to play for myself and see how, how good I could get. That that seems to make sense. If you play well, then that that team stuff will will take care it of itself. Happen, yeah, exactly right. That's really cool. So, who was the who was the coaches back then? You were getting access to as part of the state squad. Um, Peter Van Wegen Wagen. Oh yeah, Wigan? Yep. Wigan? yeah. Um, he was he was the state squad, and and he he was so good. I really I really enjoyed getting you know just an insight from him. And I was still getting my lessons from Grant at the time, but to have just an insight and at that time you had Monica Jung and, and Justine Lee who were absolute standouts and incredible golfers and just to kind of go through their practice he gave us a lot of practice routines to do and kind of formulas to practice rather than just kind of jumping in and be like you need to do this or this it was a lot of that and a lot of our training in the squads was playing match play against each other and and doing challenges and I think that's kind of that was so much more important than him being there and trying to change everybody's swing it was just like this is what you've got how can we how can we play with it and how can we get you playing your best golf so to kind of be in the squad like that with a with a coach like that it was more of a support system than anything was was crucial it, um, it tends to be the first exposure players have to that type of coaching is in state squads and, and that type of thing. So mm. um, even 20 years ago, that type of coaching didn't seem as prevalent as it is now. Obviously, it's much more out there with coaches these days, but even even 20 years ago, it was all about the swing technique. So it was good to see you had exposure to that type of coaching early on. Yeah, definitely. I think it kind of played in my favour, so... When was the call made to do the trainee program? What was the, the thought process behind turning pro? Um, it was it was a it was a really kind of erratic decision that I made. I I had a really good amateur season. I um I won the New South Wales Cup. I won the Lakes Cup. I think it came second at the Australian Cup. There was a few like of those ladies events that I won in a series, and I was shooting consistently under par and. And then that's when I kind of thought, oh, you know, I'm going to get into that, um, the state team. And then when they announced it, I, I think I won like four, three or four other selection events and I didn't get a spot on the team. And I think my whole world wow. crushed at that point. I just was like, I can't do this anymore. I, I think I wanted to quit at that point. And, you know, Screw like I said, was, yeah, I just, you know, like I said, like the goal was I kind of changed my focus and that's when I started playing really good. And then I thought, you know what, it's just going to come now because I've, I've had such a successful season 
Um, and I really, I think the only bad game that I would have had was at Concord at the home club. And it was the last round. And I think I shot like an 82. But everything with that was under par or low 70s and a couple of wins there. So I really thought that I had a shot and I didn't get into the team. And I was just, I remember sitting there at Concord when they announced the team and all the girls were up there. And I was trying not to cry because I was like, you know, it wasn't the goal. It would have been nice, but it wasn't the goal in the end. But I think it just crushed me. And I was like, I, I, I don't want to do this anymore. And I was going to put the golf clubs away. But I had a really good boss um, at Ride Parramatta, Clinton Russell. And he was just such a good person. He was just always there for me. And anything I needed, he was so helpful. So I remember going to work and I was like cleaning golf carts. I'm like, I'm done. Like, I don't want to play. And he's like, do you traineeship? And I was like, nope, I don't want to coach. I was so, you know, I was an 18 or 19-year-old girl. I was not taking it from anyone. So, but then um, he kind of convinced me and I spoke it over with my mom and dad and I was like, I don't know where to go from here. So I signed up literally like a week later from going from I want to quit golf and never play again to now I'm going to do a traineeship was a transition. But, um, but yeah, I signed up to the traineeship and I didn't look back. I had my three years and it was fantastic. That 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 state squad experience. It's a it's a common theme, I think. Sometimes, and there seems to be politics playing out behind the scenes. Sometimes, when it comes to picking those teams and picking those squads, and I don't want to go too much down that path in this podcast, yeah. but there certainly yeah. seems to be certain clubs don't get picked, and certain people don't get picked just based on where they come from. Sometimes, which is which is terrible. Yeah, definitely, and it's, it's very politics, and I think you get that in all sports. So. I think it was good to have such a good support around me being like, it, it doesn't matter. It's not going to stop the career or wherever you want to go just because you didn't get in the team, So, which was really cool. So, No, that's good. So you've gone from giving up golf to stepping into a three-year full-time program to turn golf into your full-time lifetime career. Um, yeah. Talk me through your experience in the trainee program. You said you were a junior girl and you were the only girl in the program. And now, you, now you're stuck in a, in a trainee program that's predominantly 20-something boys, which are just pains in the in the, in the the backside, essentially, <laughs> Put it nicely. all the time. How did you find that your experience inside the trainee program? I loved it. I think that I had – I was so lucky with my year because I had three other girls or four other girls. Um, there was myself, Courtney, Julia, Tammy, and Eliza. So we just had, a, like, a, a girl gang. It was – unreal to to be able to have that and we had you know our own group chats and we'd play our own practice rounds together and so it became like a real social thing as well which is great because the, the traineeship you know back then was so demanding and it was really difficult to to kind of get through mentally as well so to have the girls there it it just made it a lot easier obviously you know golf's a very male dominated industry um and then you get into a trainee setting where it kind of gets a bit competitive you know a lot of egos come out so to have the girls <laughs> by his side through it all and I also I worked with another a guy uh Trent who we actually were in the same year at the same golf club so to be kind of having him next to me and we just going through it together you know we could talk about assignments or you know kind of talk about games and everything it was just good to have that other kind of connection and, and support as well so it was, I think it was fine I I know it's hard but it was good <laughs> I'm gonna have to sneak back through those assignments and see how how close they actually are. Those two, if you were working together, <laughs> the most yeah, be you some, should. <laughs> there might be some plagiarism yeah. going on there. Yeah, you should double check that. <laughs> that um, that seems to be a common theme with females in the in the program. If they've got that group of support people around them, and it's, you've obviously had a, a good group 
around you, um, that certainly makes a difference. And there's a few on that list of the, that are on my hit list to come on the podcast. So if they're tuning yeah, in, get, um, <laughs> uh, get on the phone and give me a call because I would love to have a, have a chat. But, um, <laughs> so, yeah, and that, that seems to be – and it, it is a, it's a tough program to get through. It's three years full-time work essentially full-time playing a full-time study it's it's a it's a full-on program so the fact that you've got through it and and came out with good experience of the program is a a huge positive yeah definitely like you said I think there was definitely times where I wanted to quit and and throw everything out especially on some of those assignments that Friday night at nine o'clock at night and (laughs) the last thing I want to be doing is this assignment but I think I, I think I grew from it and I think it was really a good way to kind of learn how to delegate and, and be an adult, you know, manage your work, manage, you know, your social life and manage your golf game at the same time is, is was tough. So it was good to come out on the end of it. No, that's really cool. Now, again, we've, we've spoken too much about the past. I want to get to the burning <laughs> question that I've had since I started checking out your social medias. <laughs> how the hell did you end up in Canada? I know. So wild. It's, um, yeah, I don't know. I, you know, I was playing. I was playing obviously the Australian Ladies Tour, um, and I played a lot of co-sanctioned events in Asia and the European Tour events as well. So I was playing, and I had a really successful first year when I was determined just to be a player, um, and that was in the mix of my traineeship. So I was also trying to play, and so I had a one really successful year, and I was like, okay, like I can do this. Like, you know, maybe when I finish it, I'll have more time. And when I finished my traineeship, I left Ride Parramatta and I went to Windsor Golf Club to just work three days a week as a full-time coach and um, that gave me heaps of time to practice and so I was playing and I know I think I missed like two cuts in in Asia and you know I didn't have a financial sponsor I had a, a club sponsor with Callaway but I had no financial sponsor so I come back work 12 hours a day do as many lessons as I could and then use that money to to fly out to the next event and not come back with a check every time was super difficult. So I was kind of digging into my savings and it was mentally affecting me. It's it's really hard. I think it looks like a glamorous lifestyle, but you know, you go away, you're in a country that you know you don't speak the same language, and then you're in a hotel room by yourself thinking about you know the three putt you made on the last hole for the whole night. So I kind of got draining, and I decided that I needed a break and. Yeah, I just, I wanted to go somewhere else and I looked up Canada and I had one other connection over here and they were like, Whistler's the place for you. You're going to love it. I love being outdoors. So yeah, I literally, my parents went on a cruise and they were on the cruise and they got reception at one point and I rang them and I was like, oh, I, like I got a new job. And they're like, oh, like sweet. Like, where is it? I'm like, oh, it's like Nicholas North. And they're like, oh, where's that? And I'm like, Canada, like I'm leaving in a month. So <laughs> And then it just happened like that, and and that was nearly three years ago now. And I was going for six six months, and I've been here since. So it's hard to leave. It just blows blows my mind that you've gone from <laughs> sunny Australia to god awful Canada. I know it's absolutely like bucketing down snow out in front of me right now. So it's so funny. <laughs> I'm sitting here staring at blue sky and nice warm yeah. day. <laughs> You've, you've got hoodie and beanie on and, and freezing cold. I've got the fireplace on too. So. It's, um, and um, yeah, again, people that have tuned to the podcast and are, are across my my career, I've got a, a contact over over there in Jason Hellman. He's doing he's been, he's been on the podcast as well and coaches out of Canada. So we've yeah. kind of kind of chatted about 
Canadian coaching, but I'm keen to get your perspective as a as a female from Australia heading over there. And what were your first experiences like when you first turned up? And was it a shock to the system? Was it what you expected, or was it completely different? Completely different. It was just um, the people here want lessons, and I found that not many people wanted lessons um, back where I was coaching, you know, at, at Windsor and Ride Primatter. It wasn't, you know, you might get the occasional lesson with the, the pro, but it wasn't like a consistent program. And I think we came over here, I came over here and just the, it's a lot more approachable, the game out here, you know, all the carts have Bluetooth speakers and everyone's playing with, with drinks and music and there's no dress regulation. And I'm at, you know, Nicholas North Golf Club, that's a pretty prestige golf club, but there's no dress regulation. It's, it's very welcoming. And I really like that side of it because you've got a lot more people coming through that were like willing to take a lesson. Um, and it's not an intimidating kind of, you know, at home, it's a little bit more intimidating, whereas here it was a bit more approachable. So it was that kind of regard. Um, but yeah, I came here and I was just working in the golf shop and doing some like ladies lessons and junior stuff. And and then, yeah, eventually have gone this year um, full-time coaching. But obviously our season over here is only kind of six months long. Um, it snows for the other kind of six months. So it's a short kind of season. But, yeah, I think that's why it's, it's really hard to leave here because the the kind of idea around golf is just so much more relaxed and inviting. And it, I think it suits my personality a lot more than kind of being at you know a very strict um, traditional golf club. Yeah, that sounds really, really great. So talk me through what your programs are like in the summer season when they're actually out on the course playing and when you've actually got the golf courses open. Talk me through what type of programs you've set up over there and how your coaching is structured. Yeah, definitely. So when I kind of moved here, there was a ladies program. Um, I was given one of the ladies groups. So I think there was about six of them. Um, so I had one. It's a four-week program, and that runs in May. And then kind of after that, there was – really nothing else for ladies and I just feel like being female it's just such a a good way for me to go to try and invite women into the game and and so I started doing some drop-in clinics and lots of like individual lessons trying to build a reputation here Uh, but because it is a small you know it's a small town here there's a few coaches you kind of have to you can't expect it just people to come to you. you have to kind of put yourself up there and kind of drag them in so um, I worked on that and then the, the following year, I, I again, I, I started to build more programs and I eventually built it. So I think I had like eight, um, eight groups a week um, for four weeks and then I had a week off and then I'd do another four weeks and that kind of ran for the whole summer. But, you know, last year I was kind of talking with my bosses and I was like, it needs to be more inviting. It needs to be more accessible for people. So I actually changed it from beginner, intermediate and advanced ladies clinics to match our ski runs. So obviously on the ski runs, you have green, blue, black, and then double black, and they kind of are just a level, but it's it's not kind of that word beginner or intermediate or advanced. It's not kind of like that. It's just, you know, a recommendation. And so when I changed my clinics this year, just to be, this is the green group and this is the, you know, blue and black and double black, it got ladies that, you know, have been playing golf for, you know, 10 years that still think they're terrible. You know, they might play off 30 and they think they can't play from stop doing that beginner course because they still think they're not good enough to move up. But suddenly it's gone like, oh, you know, I can I can do the easy ski runs. I can move on now to the blue ski runs. So it changed that thought process of being, you know, an intermediate or advanced because I had no one signing up for advanced. And all advanced was is that, you know, you're on the golf course and you want to lower your scores. It doesn't matter if you're off a handicap of 45 
or if you're off a handicap of 10, it was about understanding how to play better golf for you. So as soon as I changed it, I advertised my clinics in February. Um, we don't open till May. They sold out in, I think, like 20, uh, sorry, two days, pretty much, um, all eight clinics. And so then I advertised another eight. So I had 16 ladies clinics a week um, that I was running for the whole of May. And then I did the exact same thing for June. So I had another 16 in June and another 16 in July. And then it kind of drops down in August as we kind of turn the season comes to an end. I think I had about 10. So I've seen, you know, just over 100 to 120 ladies a week just in my clinics. Um, so it, it, it really took off. It was, it was crazy to go from something where there wasn't too much of a ladies program to, to building it. And all it was was changing it. So suddenly I was getting, you know, 17, 18 year old girls coming with their friends to, to do a four week ladies program. And I think four weeks is, is perfect at home. I used to run eight week long clinics and people can't commit to that. But running in four weeks, you know, you get a taste of everything. And if you like it, it's like, sweet, I've finished green. I'm going to progress to, to blue. Even though they might have only just taken green for the first time, they were still able to progress. And that was the whole idea is keeping people coming back in. So it took off and yeah, it was super exciting. It was super draining. I was there nine till eight every single day doing, you know, those clinics. And I had a lot of junior programs, you know, I had four hours of juniors a day as well. So to mix four hours of juniors in a day with 18 hours of clinics was really a lot. <laughs> I was very tired at the end of it. It does. It sounds tiring. And again, with kids, you, you've got to keep it upbeat. You can't be there and be flat when, when oh, you've got, no. kids, you got kids in front of you. So Yeah, they keep on um, your toes. Challenging space. So, something that uh, is always that I've chatted with with overseas coaches, and you're obviously one of those now, they seem to be more open to group type coaching situations overseas than they are in Australia. Like in Australia, if you come for a golf coaching session, it tends to be a private individual lesson. Um, but Definitely. it sounds like you were doing essentially all group coaching. So, how was the switch as a coach for you to go from single coaching to, to group sessions? Yeah, definitely. I think that out here like there's a lot like people are more like invited to do that especially living in a ski town you know I was having a lot of people that have never touched a golf club before but they're super you know willing and exciting to be like oh I'm going to give golf a go this summer um and and jump into it that kind of way so it's definitely um it was definitely like a change like you have to kind of think on your feet like I designed programs um based on every kind of different color like clinic that I was doing but you have to be able to adjust for everybody when you're out there. And you also have to remember that, you know, you're not giving them an individual lesson at the same time. You have to kind of break up that time. And, and then I guess the end goal was always to try and convert them to doing individuals as well. So you kind of got to play it like that. It was definitely different. But, yeah, I feel like people are super inviting to, to come out and, and do lessons in groups. But I really think that the four-week program is such a strong way to go. I was always doing eight-week programs back at home. and. And now that I think about it, I'm like, I don't even know how I spoke for eight weeks. Like, <laughs> it took <laughs> a long time. So four weeks is just great. You know, you can commit to four weeks. Even if you miss maybe one lesson, you can, you know, nine out of ten times commit to four four lessons in four weeks. So, yeah, it was great. Yeah. I do have to say that I'm pleased that you haven't lost the Australian accent. It's certainly still there, which, which is good. <laughs> Did you use that as a, as a selling point for getting clients into your coaching? You know what? I live in Worcester, so I feel like they call it Wistraya over here because, you know, without COVID, pre-COVID, you know, I think every second person that you bump into on the street here is from Australia. So 
I don't really feel like I had anything special. They're just like, oh, you're another Aussie. Um, okay. But I definitely, I definitely think that I think I think it was the female. It was kind of like one of the first female coaches actually kind of in here for a while. I think Sky Shri Sholly actually used to work at the same golf club that I worked at, um, which is really cool. But I think that yeah, it was kind of the first. Um, you know, in uh, right now, there's only kind of me as a female coach. So I really tried to draw on that to not just for females too, but you know, try and draw as many people in as as I could. You know, being from Australia and, and having played on the tour a little bit and kind of pulling from all my experiences. So tried to play that in my favour. Um, I'm curious on your experience as a female coach, and it's something that I discuss with all the the women coaches that I've had on the podcast. It, was that a challenge to get students? Did you have some pushback from from certain students that said, "I can't be coached by a female; I want to be coached by a guy"? And yeah. how did you deal with that? Yeah, I think that's hard, and I think it's something that I'm still kind of working out, and I think that I probably still will forever have to work that out. But I think that not that you necessarily have to work harder, but you have to kind of almost try and prove yourself to a degree, which is kind of disappointing. Um, you know, we all do the same course and we're all doing our own learning at the same time. So, but I, yeah, I definitely, I've had, you know, people come in that have, that have booked a lesson and then they walk in and see that I'm five foot two and this like small female, they're like, how are they going to teach me how to play golf? Um, and that's fine. You just gotta, you know, you get some looks sometimes that I've had and, you kind of put them out of your head and you just do your job like any other person would do a job. Um, but yeah, I think that it's definitely hard. It sometimes gets you. Um, I had one person ask me one day, you know, he came up, he's like, Oh, you do so many ladies clinics. Like when are the men, when like, where are all the men's clinics? And I was like, well, like none of the men want to sign up for individual lessons. So like once I get interest from, you know, men wanting to take lessons, then I'm willing to, but it's a lot of energy to build another whole program for a men's clinic. So I think that, you know, that I just try and be out there when I'm not, like I'm on the range every day, all day. So when I'm not having a lesson or I'm on my lunch break, I'm on the range and I'm talking to people and I'm, you know, building relationships and building a reputation. I think that, you know, you have to put a little bit of extra work in being kind of female in this industry. Um, but yeah, I think it's paid off. I think now I have like a, a good, you know, a good kind of grouping of men that I coach now. And I think the more that I do it, the more that people are going to try and put their trust in me. But I understand it. I, I get it. I, I'd probably do the same thing if, if I'm one of Whenever I went for a lesson, I was always looking at, you know, the history of that person. And as, I didn't just pick anybody random that I was going to put my swing into their hands. So, yeah, it's like anything. Makes sense. Um, okay, so talk me through the off-season. How does coaching look in Canada in the off-season? Yeah, definitely. So we have an indoor facility uh, that I coach at, at um, Nicholas North. So it's a really cool facility. It's insulated. Um, it's wild to, to plow through snow, um, you know, to get there. And then you open up and you're in this beautiful building um, that's a simulator. But, you know, a lot of the people that I teach, um, they kind of leave for the winter. They go down to, to the warmer areas. They'll go to Mexico or California, Florida, try and escape the cold. Um you know, like a lot of them have been here for years and they've done the skiing. You know, I'm in the, one of the best ski resorts in the world. So to have a gondola two minutes from my doorstep is something that I, I don't take for granted, for that's for sure. But it definitely makes it harder um, to not be able to, you know, play golf when I want to or be out there. But having that indoor facility is great. I don't coach too much in there during the winter. Um, I focus more on now my online coaching, uh, which is kind of taking off. I feel like it's going to be, the way of coaching to be honest in the future 
Um, but yeah, mostly just the online kind of stuff. And, and then I snowboard, you know. <laughs> I'm trying to get into snowboarding. <laughs> I was, I was, asking, I was, I was going to cover off on that. Were you a skier prior <laughs> to going over there, or did you start up over, no. over there, or so you weren't? A yeah, skier I had no at all. idea. No, oh, I think I went to Perisha once when I was like eight, um, maybe six. But uh, no, I came here and um, yeah, I was like, okay, I've got to, I've got to try and and do this. Like, I can't be. Everyone would talk to me about like skiing and and that, and I was like, I have no idea. So um, my partner got me into snowboarding. I did snowboarding, and you know what? It actually was so much more beneficial for my golfing because. I actually understood the mountains and I understood, you know, terminology and I understood how snowboarding and skiing works. And then I could relate that to my clients when I was coaching, you know, you could be like, you know, angling your feet out like you would on a snowboard helps you turn. That's going to help you turn in the golf swing. So it was really cool because, you know, everyone I coach is like addicted to snowboarding or skiing. So to now be able to relate to them on that level as well, it's actually, you know, played in my favor. So yeah, I had no experience. I wouldn't still wouldn't call myself a snowboarder, but I'm obsessed. Like I, I'm up there nearly every day. So, are you hitting those advanced runs on, on the snowboard? <laughs> you know, yeah, or not? Yeah, I, you know, I've done a, a few. I kind of I've tumbled my way down them. <laughs> so <laughs> I attempt them. That's the main thing. <laughs> I've tried. I've tried skiing in Australia, and I'm horrendous at it, awful at it. So I can only, I can only see that I'm yeah got zero skill in that space at all. So. <laughs> So I'm curious because obviously you've got access to a whole heap of coaching technology at your setup there. You've got a really good golf golf course with a whole lot of tech involved. How do you even, how do you use the tech in your coaching? You know what? I actually base it off who I'm coaching. Um, for me as a player, I've always been a field player. So having TrackMan and having all the numbers and seeing my thing on video, like every time I would watch my thing on video, I was more just like, looking at me as opposed to like what I was actually doing in the swing. I was, you know, judging myself rather than actually looking at the techniques and it just didn't work for me. I was always based on feel. So using any kind of, you know, object that wasn't a golf club to get me feeling a position or that I, I'd never worked well for me in my own swing to like look at numbers because I, I was never a numbers person. So I base it off my, my, my players. Like I always have it on. And I'm obviously always reading it. It makes my job a lot easier to see numbers and see slow-mo videos. But if they're, if I can tell that they're not interested or if it's too overwhelming or if, you know, we're beginning or something, then, you know, I'm not really going to pay too much attention to it. You know, I can introduce them to it and see how they react. But I never throw stuff into people's face because if I start running through all these numbers and someone kind of gets very overwhelmed and taken back from it, they're not going to come back from another lesson. So very lucky to have that technology i think it's so useful and i think it's great but i kind of base it off who i'm coaching some people are so into it and will go deep diving into all the trackman numbers and other people are not so much they're more field players so i'll kind of show them on their videos and kind of maybe relay one of the numbers to them but really focusing on a feel for them and what what that how we can change these numbers but based on a movement rather than a number and a, a mathematical algorithm <laughs> makes so much sense and again that is the the art of coaching, isn't it? You've got the, yeah. all the all the information there. Then how you get that across to that student standing in front of you is the is the skill of a of a, of a good coach. So yeah, I, I like that idea. Now I just want to touch quickly on golf schools. Um, obviously in a resort type setup where you are, golf schools I'm sure play a role. Are you involved in those golf schools at all, or is that something that the other coaches do? Not not necessarily here. Um. I know that there's a lot of like golf schools kind of around us 
Um, but you know, here is such a, a biking town and I feel like, you know, the school structure that here is, is very different. You know, when I was back at home, I used to always go into schools and do that kind of stuff. Or there was like scholarships for good programs and, and all that. But where I am based, there's not too much of that. There's so much else going around that, you know, it's that summer sport only. And the, unfortunately, it's not like as a, as a massive thing here being in golf schools and everything. So it's nothing that I've had to deal with. Um, I know there's a lot of others. We do have um, a Japanese school here, uh, which is really cool. Um, and they come out and, and one of the coaches kind of runs that. And, and I've jumped in and helped a lot with that program as well. Um, but yeah, I'm still learning from them. They're kind of teaching me some Japanese and stuff, which is kind of cool. But, um, that there, in terms of like golf schools, it's, it's a little bit different where we are because we're in such a small town, um, school D town. So, you know, probably down in Vancouver, it kind of gets a bit bigger. We're about two hours from there. So a little bit different up here. Okay. Oh, that's cool. Um, you said you were doing some, some coaching online now. So, what platform are you into for that and how, you, how have you set up your online coaching? Yeah, definitely. So um, I actually tried to get on the Skillist app um, nearly a year ago and I was on the wait list to be a coach on there. So obviously they were still growing and they're still kind of developing kind of their apps now, but um, they did an onboarding of coaches in September and that's kind of right when, when you know, golf season's ending down here. So I was lucky to get accepted and... I'm now on that and, you know, I've only kind of been on it for six weeks and I've already built a, a client list from all around the world. It's funny, I don't teach anyone in Canada on the list uh, in my clients. They're from the UK or from Ireland, from Asia, Australia, and, you know, I've got a few people down in America. So it's it's really cool and I and I, I think the 24-hour, you know, communication is, is massive. You know, I have with my clients, it's all subscription-based, so they'll pay a subscription fee and they'll upload their videos to the app, but... It's the communication piece. It's it's I do a 24-hour turnaround, so I send back their their swing analysis in 24 hours. But then I always ask them within the you know whatever we're playing, we've always have a Zoom call to chat about what our plan is. And if they say, oh, you know, I can practice, you know, a lot during the week, then I'll be like, okay, you know, three days later, I want you to send me back videos of you doing the drills, and I'm gonna just double check that you're doing them correctly. And I think that's the biggest bonus about online coaching because I do lessons in person. And, you know, I'll see that person, but then I might not see them again for a month and they might be off practicing the drill, but they're actually not doing it correctly. They were doing it correctly when they were with me, but now they've gone and they think they're doing it right, but they're not. So to have people, you know, do a lesson and then we kind of, they send me that and it could just be as easy as me be going like, yep, that looks perfect. Keep it going. You know, keep practicing that or, you know, you have to move your hands this way or, you, you know, it's not quite in the right. At least I could communicate and any questions that they have, we've got like a little comments or texting platform there that we can just communicate all the time and I've already seen so much quicker growth doing online lessons than you know when someone gets a lesson once a month or something so that communication I think is so key on and it's it's such a cool I'm still learning all about it still but it's cool and I'm kind of just using my Instagram to market that so yeah is it somewhere that you see yourself adding on to your private coaching or your in-person coaching. I think, um, as you said, it's a great tool to be able to communicate and check that they're doing the drills properly and um, possibly charging a fraction more for your in-person coaching and adding that on as an extra where they can go away and send you their drills or send you some swings uh, in between coaching sessions. 
Yeah, I mean, that would be ideal. I mean, like I said, like anytime I'm not coaching, I'm out on the range just chatting to people. So if I see my clients over there, I'm going to go check in on them anyway, just as like a, you know, a friendly service kind of thing or, you know, just to see how's it going. But I definitely think like if, if there was that in, in person coaching, a lot of my clients would, would move a lot quicker and progress a lot quicker than what they might. But I think, you know, ideally for me, like living in Canada, uh, my partner's from Ireland. We're both living here. So to kind of move into online coaching full time would actually be the dream because then you can work from anywhere in the world, you know, like a lot of the lessons I do are in my lounge room because I don't actually hit balls. I just kind of talk about drills and I have like a drill of bank, uh, a bank of drills that I've already done from being inside or when I was outside and you can just attach them to the lesson. So yeah, I mean, to do it full time and, and coach anywhere in the world and and be able to travel and, and, you know, maybe escape some of the cold every so often would be nice. <laughs> Sitting on a tropical warm somewhere instead of being yeah. stuck in the snow. <laughs> yeah, just go down to Mexico for a couple of weeks. <laughs> no, sounds, sounds, sounds really cool. Now, you, you touched quickly on social media and using Instagram to promote your coaching. How mm-hmm. have you set up your socials to, to build your coaching business and how do you promote yourself through those channels? Yeah, I think that's something that I'm still learning and I'm actually taking a social media course to kind of understand it a bit better. Um, I'm not like a social media person. So like um, it, it, it's, it's kind of challenging to be honest. And, and I think there's so much golf content out there now. You know, before you'd have to go onto YouTube and you'd have to search through and, and find, you know, how to fix slice and you'd have to go through and search through videos. But now you can just sit there and scroll and you can go on that Explorer page and type in golf and you'll get, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of videos within a second right so there's so much golf information out there so it's like how do you kind of you know stand out from that and and you know make yourself seen so I think it's it's a lot of putting yourself out there which I'm still trying to get used to um but I'm definitely just trying to learn more about how social media works and and you know I've only really like when I got Skillis um got on boarded with Skillis about six weeks ago that's kind of when I started the social media so it's definitely grown um, a lot. I'm pretty happy with how it's trending. Um, but yeah, it's just that constant communication with people and, and just putting yourself out there, kind of showing what you've got to offer and, and making it different. So it's not the same kind of stuff they've seen before by, you know, 40 other coaches. So it can be confronting sometimes putting yourself out there, especially if you're not as experienced as maybe you see some of the other coaches out there that have been doing it for 20 years and putting their content out there. And if you're not, if you don't feel like you're in the same space as them, it can be confronting putting it out there. So how do you, how have you dealt with that challenge? With great difficulties. <laughs> it's really hard. It, it Honestly, it's really hard. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll get a video ready to post it and, you know, I'll spend half an hour looking at it and analyzing it. And, you know, then my partner, I'm like, can I post it? And he's like, yeah, it's good to go. I'm like, oh, I don't know. And it, it's really hard. And I think that once you just start doing it, you know, people are going to comment however they want to comment. But you just got to kind of back yourself. And, and if you're pretty strong on what you're, you know, what you're posting out there. So I think it's hard. And I think that's that's the one thing I'm trying to to get around. There's been a lot of times where I've gone to post something and then been, no, can't do it and then deleted it, especially when it involves, you know, talking i know i'm going to listen back to this podcast and be like oh my god i hate my voice so <laughs> that's the hardest thing <laughs> no you were coming across super well so don't even, don't even think about that so it's it's a hard space and staying don't getting stuck in the comments section is probably a good piece of 
advice for people. Um, if you're putting content out there on social media, stay out of the comment section. But it's, yeah. it's hard too because as a coach, you you do want to start conversations with people that are that are viewing your content. You don't want to Definitely. avoid the content altogether. But there's yeah, there's always going to be bad comments in there, isn't there? Which is a, a yeah. challenging thing. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Sounds like you're doing doing great, and as you improve and as you go, it's the same with anything. If you if you start out there and give people the best that you've got at that that time, um, then that's all you can do. And then as you improve over time, your content will improve, and off you go. So yeah, exactly. Right. You're doing some good things there, which is really cool. <laughs> Thank you. So there's a few questions I, I like to throw to all the guests that come on the podcast. So for coaches that are starting out, what tips have you got for them? What would you say to the coaches that are just starting out in the in the in the golf coaching field? Definitely, just would say shadow as many coaches as you can. Um, I know that when I was doing my traineeship, I mostly just did it so I could get out of the golf shop. Um, but anytime you know, one of my bosses was going down to, to give a lesson, I would just go and watch. And I think, I, like I said, I had good bosses. I had Clinton Russell and, and Nathan King. And I had good bosses and that were very, you know, welcoming on that. Like, yep, come down, watch me, learn as much as you can. So the more that you can shadow people, even if it's shadowing them, you know, there's a lot of content online now. We can watch live lessons. So especially on Skillist, a lot of people show you have to kind of do an online lesson so you can kind of, just pick their minds, I think, is the, is the best way to kind of, you know, throw yourself into the deep end and, and learn. Again, makes makes so much common sense and it tends to be a pretty pretty common answer to that question on the podcast, but it is it's about getting out there and just seeing what all different coaches do. It's a really, yeah. really cool way to build the skills. That's it. So for golfers out there, what advice for golfers out there, whether they're in a, a Australia where they can play all year round or Canada where they're not <laughs> playing all year round, advice for golfers out there? You know what, like I, I listened to the other podcast and I was listening to everybody's answers and I, I think it, honestly like you just got to have fun with it. I think in the last two years with everything in the world that's gone on, I think it's really put into perspective that golf is not that important and, you know, hitting a shank or a massive hook, you know, even if you've got a round going is not the be all and end all. And I know when I was playing, a couple of those shots were the be all and end all. So I think just, you know, really changed my mind on how I approach golf now is just have fun and if you're not having fun take a break <laughs> there's no there's no problem with putting the golf clubs in you know in the garage for you know two weeks recessing and then coming back at it but there's no point in going out there hating the game i know some people show up and they just don't even want to be out there to begin with so you just got to have fun with it it is still a game after all isn't it that's yeah, the thing that's i think it. <laughs> take it way too seriously <laughs> it's not life and death no, it's exactly not. Um, so you just touched quickly on on COVID. So how did you deal with COVID over there? So you obviously shifted into a country, and um, how did you deal with COVID? How was the lockdown situation in Canada, and how did they deal with it over there? And how did you deal with it from a golf coaching perspective? Yeah, definitely. I mean, we kind of got locked down here, like most of the world, in February 2020. Um, so the mountain shut. I lost my job because I worked at that point in marketing, and I still do at a ski rental shop. I do that on the side. Um, so I lost my job um, and just had no idea what to do. I knew that I wasn't going to get, I wasn't sure if I could get funding over here um, and I, I wasn't sure how I was going to pay my rent. Um, so I was a bit stressed out and I know a lot of people took up and left and, and my partner and I, did, we decided to stay and we ended up, we were able to access some funding here from the government, which was really good. And we had our own place, so, you know, 
we just tried to make it fun. You know, we would go out the back and build snowmen and, and try and chip golf balls into the snowmen and just things like that to try and pass time. But we were in lockdown for probably uh, like two months, I think. And then we were actually able to go back. The golf courses opened um, heavy restrictions, obviously, with masks and, and social distancing. But we were super lucky that golf was on the A-list that we could actually go ahead and do it. And and so, you know, it's pretty much been like that since uh, we kind of haven't really eased our restrictions. We're out of lockdown, obviously, but we still wear masks everywhere. There's still limited people amount of shops or, you know, at concerts and everything. There's nothing kind of, it's getting back to normal, but it's still, it's still different. Um, but at least, you know, we've got the mountain back open now for winter and we were able to play golf all summer. So I, th I thought we were pretty lucky. I know kind of New South Wales and, and Victoria kind of got the blunt of it and, and struggled a lot with their kind of lockdown, especially Victoria. Um, so I, I considered ourselves very lucky over here. We definitely had a lockdown, but it wasn't nearly as bad as, as what other people had to go through. Yeah, I feel, feel sorry for the Victorian coaches. They certainly did it, did it tough down here. It was, um, I yeah. wasn't obviously I don't coach full time anymore. So being um, being out there trying to coach where you couldn't coach essentially for a long, yeah. long time. Jobless. So certainly, yeah. certainly challenging. Any changes that you would make to your career journey so far? Anything that you would, if you had the time to go back and change, you would change or? You know what? I, I think I, I think I like the way I did it. I think that I, I gave myself a go at playing and I really committed myself to that by not working much and, and just throwing myself into that. And I'm really happy that I did do the traineeship. I think that I would have regretted it if I didn't do the traineeship. So I think it, I think everything kind of, you know, works out the way it does. Um, and it's in for a reason. So hopefully, you know, once borders open and, and the world's a bit back to normal, you know, I'm not saying I'd never go back and play. I'd love to go back and, and give playing a go again. Um, so who knows? But I don't think I would change anything. I think that I did everything for a reason back then. So it's got me to here. Otherwise, I wouldn't be living in Canada having this conversation with you now. So I think it's all worth it. <laughs> no, that's 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 a completely um, a fair answer. I've got no problem with that. And, yeah, obviously every step you've taken has, has put you into that space where you are in Canada of all places. Yeah. As I said, it just blows my mind that you are <laughs> Going from Sydney all the way over there to Canada. So I know. <laughs> it's, um, it's, a, it's a cool space. Um, where do you see yourself in five years' time or coaching in general? You can answer either or or both. Yeah. I think um, I think I just got my five-year permanent residency here. So I had a two-year visa that expired and I just got approved about a month ago um, for another five years. So I feel like I'll be kind of in and out over the next five years um, and I, I really hope that, the online coaching's kind of taken off by that point because it would then allow me to kind of live wherever. Um, my partner works remotely too. So, you know, we could go live in Ireland for a bit or we could go to Australia or, or go somewhere new and exciting. So that's kind of exciting for me. Uh, like I said, maybe have another go at some of the Australian stuff, playing a little bit, see where the game's at. I feel like I have no expectations now. So maybe I feel like when I used to play on the tour, I was so in my head and I couldn't really perform then. So now I have no expectations. I don't have much going on in my head. So I feel like maybe I could give it a go again. Uh, but yeah, I, I feel like, yeah, honestly. So I'd love to, I'd love to play some events in the next five years and, and really kind of zone in on this, like just kind of online coaching, but just grow more in my coaching, kind of work out what kind of coach I want to be and what kind of players I really want to coach. I think it's kind of hoping where I'll be. I'll, I'll, I'll know what that answer is in five years, hopefully. 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> did your partner play? There's some awful good courses over there in Ireland yeah. too. Yeah, do they plays, play as well? Yeah, he plays off plus two. He's pretty decent. Nice. Um, I still take his money, so that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, we went to Ireland right before COVID. We played a lot over in Ireland, and uh, we're, we're hoping to head back there in, in January this year. Or fingers crossed everything goes smoothly, but we'll definitely try and play again um, soon. So yeah, it's it's been um, it's been yeah, it's great. It's great for our relationship. You know, some days it's make or break, but it's overall really nice to have a have a partner that plays golf. And but he's not his profession. You know, he likes to play it for fun. He can play well, but you know, it's just a game. So it's good. It's good for me. <laughs> That sounds sounds really cool. So, where do you go to improve your skills? You said you're doing a social media course. Is there certain areas or certain certain sources of learning that you go to if you're trying to improve your skills? Yeah, so definitely trying to um, do my social media. I am doing a course um, through just like a an Instagram growth, like a natural organic growth course, just learning about how to appeal to audiences, which is really good. And then I obviously I do a course through Dana Delquest. Um, so I follow, I love the way he coaches. I love the way he swings the club. So I follow a lot of his stuff. Um, so yeah, it's good. It's exciting to, to kind of keep learning, um, in that regard, but they're pretty much both who I go to. I, I just do the social media and I've only just started that, but Dana Delquest is, and kind of James Ridiard are where I kind of get my, my growth for my learning for my own kind of coaching and, and for my own game really. A couple of people that are on my podcast hit list as well. So <laughs> if, you, if you're tuning in, guys, we'd love to get you on and have a chat. 100%. Okay, I'd love that. That'd be so good. So thank you so much for coming and having a chat to me. I really appreciate your time. Um, you've killed it with some great information and hearing your story is is is, is um, super cool. Um, it's great to see mm-hmm. you out there doing so well. Um, I'm seeing you sitting in training schools so out there now, killing it on the <laughs> world stage is is, is absolutely <laughs> awesome. So um, <laughs> thank you. You should be really proud of yourself, and you're doing some great things out there. But where can people find you if they're after getting in touch or would um, be keen to have a chat? Can you give me your social media handles and? Yeah, so it's just um, at Molly Lavicum Golf uh, to get me on Instagram. Um, and then, yeah, I'm on the skills coach, so you can just type in Molly Lavicum and my profile will come up there. Um, and then, yeah, if you're in Canada, <laughs> come on up to Whistler and, and get in touch. And we'll, I'm at Nicholas North Golf Course, so come have a game. <laughs> nice. So I will put some links into the show notes for everybody so you can you can find you on online and if you are in Canada. And um, if I'm ever over there, you'll have to, have to give me some skiing lessons and some snowboard yeah. lessons. <laughs> I don't think you want them from me, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, I would I would spend more time falling over face first, I'm sure, than actually trying to get out there and standing upright. So <laughs> That's it. But again, I appreciate your time today. Thank you so much for coming in. It's um awesome conversation, awesome chat, and it's great to see you doing so well. No, I appreciate it. Thanks so much, Brent. Good to see you. <laughs>